Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast Escape from the Burnout Society. Tonight, I have a very, very interesting person as a guest. And uh, she has a very interesting story, fantastic story, actually. Um, her name is Chrissy Long. And she has been uh, living in many countries. Um, of course, uh, one of the most interesting aspects of her life is that, of course, very busy. And uh, that she's mother of five. Believe it or not, she has um, a very busy life because of this. And um, I would really like um, to um, ask her about her personal life. I guess she's not going to... Uh, be against it <laughs> um, <laughs> because most women have uh, the problem of uh, getting the balance between uh, personal you know private life um, sentimental life uh, family and of course work Chrissy is an entrepreneur so so she is uh, well getting into the fight to get her own dream come true uh, for this reason of course uh, she has, uh, yeah, well, uh, also beginning her own podcast, which we also will talk about it. It's also very interesting, her topic. And, uh, well, at this moment, she's living in Costa Rica. And, uh, well, Chrissy, welcome. Very, very Thank you, sir. The show. Um, well, the very first thing I would like to ask you is, uh, of course, um, you, um, what do you do now in Costa Rica at this very moment? How's your, how's your life there? Well, right now we um, are trying to homeschool our five children and keep them busy with hobbies every day because, of course, the coronavirus means they're at home. And then um, creating my own business on the side of that. Um, I'm doing an online course called Blissful Birthing to help women who are pregnant um, get rid of their fears around natural childbirth if that's what they want to do, if they, they want a natural birth. And like you said, I'm doing a podcast. So my day is split between trying to create my career and looking after my babies. But the babies are always the priority, of course. Okay. Can you tell me the age of your babies? Yeah, they're 10, 8, 6, 3, and 1. Wow. Yeah, you really have babies. Yeah, and they all have very conflicting needs. So it's... It's yeah, that's very Okay, well, yeah. that's your life right now. Now, we're going to go back some years mm -hmm. ago. <laughs> How did it all start? Because you have a, um, well, as, as I have understood, you have a kind of nomadic life, way of life in the last uh, maybe five, six years. Can you tell me, go back in time, and how did all this start? Sure. Well, um, we go really back, back. I left, I was married before um, to someone I met at university when I was 20, but at 28, after just one year of being married, I left him because I realized we were growing in very different paths. Um, we were both career people in London. I was a really successful medical sales rep and making very good money for that time. And we had two apartments in Canary Wharf. And on the outside, we looked like a really happy couple, really successful, but it just, I wasn't happy. So I left him and then I went to study all about health because I was actually, my job was being in hospital and operations every day, teaching consultants how to change the way they were doing procedures to be like more minimally invasive. 
but I saw a lot of illness. Um, and I kept thinking there must be another way. So when I left my husband, I went back to studying and very quickly into that period, I met my new partner and husband who was really into nutrition and naturopathy and reflexology and herbalism and homeopathy, which was so refreshing for me because my ex-husband thought all that was complete rubbish, you know, and it was all about partying and making money and a really hedonistic lifestyle. So I really changed at the age of 28 from career girl to hippie. I was really morphing into this, this hippie that I didn't recognize and money didn't matter to me so much anymore. Um, and the biggest thing apart from my course all about health was that I wanted to have children. I've always wanted to have children from the age of 14 and not just one or two. I always wanted to have a big family. Um, and the thing that upset me the most when I left my ex-husband was that I felt like he'd been stringing me along and lying to me for those eight years. And I felt like I was never going to meet someone now at the big age of 28 when I was had all this emotional baggage. I thought my dream of having children has now been erased. I was so upset about my future not being with children. But anyway, as I said, I met Bradley very early on and, you know, we were friends for three or four months, but he said in one of the first conversations that he also wanted at least four children. So my little ears were like, what? I found another crazy person and he's really nice and la la la. So the, the quick way to say is we didn't wait too long. Um, we had our first baby when I was 31 and we knew that if we wanted a big family, we'd have to keep bringing them into the world every couple of years because... I was no spring chicken anymore. Um, so it was very planned to have a big family um, close, you know, in close proximity. Um, what wasn't planned though, was that he had um, like quite a few properties and he had um, his own family business and he was, you know, to all intents and purposes, quite financially stable at quite a young age, really ahead of his peers. But within seven months of our baby being on this earth, he had a big fallout with his family. He was kicked out of the family business. He had to sell all his properties. And, you know, with our first baby, we were basically left with not very much. Um, we had a house, but we had a big mortgage on it. And my husband had to reinvent himself career-wise because he'd been kind of doing lots of different jobs in the family business. He didn't really have one area of expertise. So he had to, with depression and sadness in his heart, recreate himself. And I definitely wasn't going to go back to work um, doing 60-hour weeks with um, my baby. So there was quite a lot of financial pressure there and a lot of emotional sadness because we pretty much fell out with his mum and his brother and his sister um, and quite a lot of the cousins that were in the business as well. And we were socially ostracized. And it was, it was a really dark, dark period. But we decided to, that's where this whole nomadic thing came in. I, I said to him, you know, our house may be beautiful, but your mum has a house in the same state, your brother as well, and your sister. I don't feel even safe walking outside. I think this is a very toxic environment. Let's move. Let's try something new. But moving just to another part of England didn't seem that appealing. My parents had retired in Spain about 10 years beforehand. So I said to my husband, now that you are trying to build yourself up from the ground up and he thought he'd have an online business, we could live anywhere. So why don't we just try Spain for a year and rent our house out and not burn any bridges? You know, even our cats could be looked after by house sitters. We don't have to move them just in case we don't like Spain. And he was really against it at the beginning because he always saw Spain as somewhere where people went to retire and get drunk and there was no culture there. There was nothing interesting. And he was so ignorant. 
uh, and he just was in this bubble of, but we have a nice home and we have a nice middle-class life in England. And I was like, yeah, but so what? Like, it's miserable. We're miserable. So anyway, we tried Spain within two weeks. He loved it. We lived there for four years. We thought that was going to be our forever home. We absolutely loved it. Um, but unfortunately, after four years of being on his own with his business, um, he met a guy and he went into a partnership with him and that went wrong and we lost everything. Um, and even worse than losing everything, he got us like 60 grand into debt as well. And I didn't know because I kept asking, how's your business? And he was always kind of lying to protect me. You know, he thought it would all come good, but sadly it didn't. And so we ended up having to go back to England because I wanted him to just get a normal job for somebody else, nine to five, and then build his business up again on the weekends or the evenings, if that's what he wanted to do. But I just needed stability at that point because I was pregnant with our fourth and um, the economy in Spain wasn't somewhere he could get a job and he couldn't even speak the language. So we had to go back to England, but it was really humbling and humiliating because we never thought we'd go back. Um, and it was really sad. You know, I was very, very sad. And we, I think that was the darkest time we had in our relationship because I really blamed him. I really hated him for quite a long time. I resented his business. I felt like, what do they call it though? Like a work widow because his work always came before me and the children. He would work late into the night. He would work weekends where I was always on my own with the kids trying to entertain them. And they were young kids, you know? And I just felt like we've made all these sacrifices for this freaking business and we were left with nothing and debt. I was like, is it worth it, all these sacrifices? And like I said, he kind of got very delusional um, with it working. So I really resented him so much that when our baby was going to be born, our fourth one, I didn't even want him at the birth. Like it was that bad. And, and it was very interesting that the people you think would support you in this situation were kind of stabbing him in the back or kicking him while he was down as well. Like my mom and my brother were kind of encouraging me to leave him, to divorce, to find out what benefits I could get. He was a loser. So I really don't know how we got through that because um, I kept saying to my mom, yeah, but even though I'm, really struggling with him I don't want that I didn't build four children to divorce him like we have to get through this together we have to find a way um so we did and we had some relationship counseling and thank god we had no pair that kept us sane and could help in the house a little bit and within a year hats off to him he turned his business around he was doing really well we were back on our feet and we had some pretty amazing miracles, is all I can call it, happening when we went to England because we got our children into a school down the road um, that normally there's a waiting list for years, but the headmaster there took pity on me, I think. And I got two of our kids in there like that. You must have just seen my big pregnant belly and was like this poor woman. <laughs> but it was a free school. It was a beautiful school. And we got a house, which was so hard because normally if you've been living abroad for four years, you need references or you need a big deposit, like six month deposit up front, um, which we didn't have. And my mum made it very clear she wouldn't help us because she didn't want him just frittering away the money. But through a friend, I managed to secure a house where we didn't need a deposit, we didn't need a reference, it was beautiful. So everything kind of aligned for us in a wonderful way. And that two years in England actually ended up being very healing and very good. And we reconnected with family and made new friends. And so when I look back now, I think that was actually a very humbling, beautiful experience. And um, like even finding out who your real friends are, you know, like lots of the people we thought were our best friends in Spain, 
weren't there for us through this period. They were also kind of saying that he was a loser and, and why had we left? And we, they felt almost abandoned by us and they didn't realize what we were going through, I think. So it was very good in finding out who your real friends are. And because of that experience, we were about to go back to Spain because we always saw that as our real home. We didn't want to stay in England if we didn't need to for long. But because of that experience, I actually said to Bradley, you know what, instead of just going straight back to Spain now that we're safe and we've got money again, why don't we just have three months as a holiday, a long holiday? We haven't really done that with our kids. And let's go to somewhere like Costa Rica. It's Spanish speaking. It's safe economically. Um, it's beautiful for the nature for our three boys. We're very active and outdoorsy. Um, but I would never have considered doing that had I felt the loyalty from my friends and my mom and my brother, because I would never have left them for that long. So anyway, it gave us the kind of impetus to try it because we thought, well, screw everyone else. Let's do what we want to do. And then after three months of being in Costa Rica, we just weren't ready to return. We were enjoying it so much. And we found out from people that if you have a baby here, you can get residency really easily. And I was pregnant again. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I could have a baby in a third world country. Why not? I have my babies at home anyway. I may as well have a baby in a jungle and get residency. So that's exactly what we did. <laughs> and now we've been here two years. And um, Bradley's business is okay. It's kind of going through one of those moments again where it could go wrong, could go right. But because we've been here before, I don't feel as freaked out. Um, so yeah, that's how we did this whole nomadic traveling around and crazy life. It was just kind of happened. It wasn't really planned. Yeah, it's, it's really an amazing story, really. <laughs> we have been through uh, quite a lot. And we're actually, um, well, listen, this has a lot of this brings a lot of stress it's of course economically but also because of the lack of time or uh well because children have also problems with um, getting used to a new country and so my next question will be about what about them how how, how have they been responding to live first in england and then to spain and then in costa rica do you do you feel something that uh, it's it's working or it's not working or how did you make it work actually? Yeah, obviously that was a real concern for me because um, I didn't tell you but my parents were foreign so my mum's German and my dad was Scottish but we grew up in England and I never felt like I belonged um, and that was a really big thing for me when I had children I really wanted them to have that feeling of belonging and I've always envied that in people and my husband for example he'd always grown up in Chichester his friends, some of them had been from when he was two years old and he kept them and he had a wonderful friendship circle. So I really wanted to create that for my kids. So yeah, this nomadic lifestyle was the opposite of that, right? It felt like I was ripping them away from friendships, um, constantly changing the environment on them, the culture, the language, the schools. And I felt really guilty. I felt I had real maternal guilt around it. Um, but actually the opposite has happened so far. I mean, you know, the 10 year old is the one that's um, okay so far. But basically it's made them incredibly adaptable little human beings. Um, they're very confident. They're very good at making friends. They're also fine if people move on because Spain itself was a very transient community. So friends would come and go, which I found heartbreaking every time, but they've just got used to it. And uh, the 10 year old does have a phone now 
So he's in contact with his friends in England and Spain and Costa Rica. He's really international. He sees the world as his home rather than one country. Um, and I'm really proud of them. They can actually get on with most nationalities really well. And they're, they're like I said, incredibly adaptable and very confident, well-traveled little humans. I don't know how long you could keep doing this. Like, I think for some reason in my head, I think at 13, 14, you really have to choose somewhere to settle for the long term because I think teenagers really need a tribe that they can trust and they know aren't going to keep changing on them because I remember, you know, suddenly your parents who you had all your faith in and trust, you realize they're just humans <laughs> and that's kind of annoying and you get angry with them for not having all the answers in the world and for not being perfect. And that's when you need your friends. So I'm quite aware of the fact that I, you know, I need to choose somewhere to settle for my kids' well-being um, and for mine because I'm a Taurus and for me, having a home and stability is actually really, really important. So the life we've led is actually not what I would have predicted for myself at all. Um, but I'm surprised at the advantages it's brought for them and for us to, to meet people from all around the world. And yeah, it's been very interesting. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I mean, um, uh, I have also traveled, I have also <clears throat> been living in another country for many years. And uh, I see only the advantages. I see very little disadvantages. Um, tell me, because uh, you are also a naturopath and a reflexologist. Tell me about that mm -hmm. chapter in your life. <laughs> well, I only really practiced it for about four years um, when I was studying it and before I had the babies. When I had just two babies, I could still do it. But after that, it got a little bit too much. But yeah, I wanted to study um, nutritional naturopathy because... Like I said, I had been in theatres a lot, seeing cancers and all kinds of autoimmune diseases. And I just knew there had to be a better way to live your life. And um, my family, a lot of them had been struggling with addictive behaviours and very destructive uh, behaviours. So I knew there had to be a better way. So I just really loved learning all about it and the way the body works, if it's supported, right, by the right nutrition and, and taking the stresses away from your lifestyle to drinking to smoking to drugs whatever the body is amazing at healing itself so i was just um fascinated by it and then when i wanted to conceive and that whole responsibility of being a mother i thought that gives you even more of a reason to, to know how to keep our bodies safe in a natural way um And it was really interesting because when I started the course, I was a meat eater. I was drinking Coke, cola. I was smoking cigarettes in the breaks. You know, I was the rebel in the class. <laughs> and I think everyone was like, why is she in it? Like everyone else had made that homemade bloody hummus and quinoa salads. And, you know, I was just getting sandwiches from M&S that were pre-made and hadn't bothered making anything in advance. But after that three-year course, We turned vegetarian, then a few years later we turned vegan. Like this stuff I never predicted for myself because again, I loved meat. My mom was German, that's the main thing you eat. Um, but yeah, we went down this real health kick, but very gradually. You know, I think um, if I had had to do it in an extreme way, I don't think I could have done it. I needed to kind of slowly mourn saying goodbye to my favorite foods and and uh, bad habits and bad lifestyle, even with sugar, you know, we ate way too much processed food and stuff. But through having kids, 
I thought, no, I need to lead the responsible way and, and just learn that healthy food can be tasty. Um, and actually, sometimes you need to be even more inventive and creative. You know, it's, it's not boring necessarily. But I think uh, changing the way you eat and the way you live can be very difficult. It feels like you're learning how to breathe again or learning how to walk again because you have such emotional attachments to your, your food and your habits and your lifestyle, right? Um, so we did it very gradually and with a lot of patience and compassion for ourselves, I think. And then the reflexology side of things just came in because I was receiving reflexology um, after I broke up with my ex-husband because my new husband um, had this amazing reflexologist and said, she's just so fantastic, you've got to go. And I just find it absolutely fascinating how your whole body is mapped out on your feet or your hands or your face, you know, wherever your nerve endings end. Um, and the fact that you can help balance the body through pressing the nerve endings, I just found that fantastic. And it really worked for me. So I just wanted to share that gift with the rest of the world. But I ended up working predominantly on pregnant women and babies because that was the area I was really fascinated in. Yeah, that's also very interesting, of course. Yeah. Well, um, isn't it, maybe you find it a challenge also to have a, 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 such a healthy family in an environment where maybe people are eating sugar and, you know, they're not so healthy. I mean, I, I guess that's one of the biggest problems um, many women have to face. That you you want to maybe make a big change in your life but that gives just extra stress because all the little friends are eating sugar and ice cream and all these uh, chips and very unhealthy stuff and uh mm -hmm. here comes the mom who has everything natural even vegan <laughs> with with what is yeah. more uh, more uh, difficult um how have what was your experience with this especially related to your children i was so worried about that as well because i just didn't want to make them freaks you know social freaks by being different so i remember the first time when i was told their nursery that um they were vegetarian i was apologizing for it you know i was just like i'm so sorry i don't want to be awkward and weird and you know if they want to have some meat at a when a friend you know a party or something that's their choice but i just want to tell them where it comes from but we don't have it at home and i'm not judging you you know i was really worried about people thinking we were crazy and judging us and worried that we would judge them But you know what happened? The strangest thing, again, something I couldn't have predicted. My children actually inspired other children to become vegan because they would bring like their packed lunches. In England, you could choose to have whatever the school provided or a packed lunch. So in England, we became vegan instead of vegetarian because it was much easier. The supermarkets there have so much amazing choice. And, you know, they would be like, well, what are you eating? And he would be like, oh, I'm having a vegan sausage roll or I'm having um, vegan fajitas today or a vegan burger. And the kids were like, really? Can we try? And then they would like it. And so I got the mums at the gate saying to me, where'd you get all that vegan stuff? And can you share some recipes with me? Because my kids, you know, they really like what your, your son's bringing in. And it was really not what I was expecting. So I think out of a class of 30, five of them turned vegan, not even vegetarian within a year not that that was my mission at all um you know i'm like whatever everyone live and let live do what you want it's you know i'm just kind of embarrassed that we're different but and they're so proud my kids they don't feel like freaks they're like no we just say to our friends 
you eat what you want to eat, but we don't want to harm animals. And, and then the kids, you know, the other kids were like, what do you mean harm animals? We're not harming animals. And they're like, well, you're kind of killing them. And they were like, really? We never thought of that. You know, so they were very gentle about it with their innocence. Um, and I found that they've actually gained respect, not, they're not being laughed at or ridiculed. Yeah, well, which was a nice surprise. That's a strong personality. I mean, when you are young, you are most likely to want to be very accepted and not to be too weird. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that's one of the reasons why bad habits begin. If everybody is doing it, then you might want to do it as well. Um, of course. Yeah. So now tell me. Okay, so now back to the present day. <laughs> you told me, well, how does your day look like? Let's say a busy day. Okay, well, it would be normally on average waking up at 5.30 because the baby who's one and a half wakes up and then the three-year-old wakes up with her. So I go downstairs with the girls and I try and keep them quiet till around 7, 7.30, which I think is a normal time for the boys and my husband to wake up. Then um, I would usually be getting them ready to go to some hobby. Well, like this morning we left at six actually to go surfing. Um, and yeah, so in that time when I'm awake, I'm kind of, you know, packing bags, making sure they have snacks, waking them up, screaming at them to brush their hair and their teeth and get their shoes on because they can never for some reason remember those simple things. <laughs> um, while bouncing the baby on me and trying to stop her crying and putting on my boobs. So it's all very hectic in the morning. And, and my husband might be making us all a smoothie so we can just drink it in the car and go to whatever hobby. Um, and then we'll come back and have like a lunch together. And then, then it's often like, okay, do we have a bit of family time in the pool or playing games? Or sometimes they're allowed some screen time because they've been doing something active for three or four hours or they've been at a tutor or something. So I think, okay, a few hours of screen time and then I will try and work. Um, I try to work three or four hours a day. I have a container, which I'm actually speaking to you from now, which is like our home office. Um, and we also are very, very blessed here in Costa Rica to have a housekeeper um, and her boyfriend who work for us all day. So in that time when I'm working, she's looking after the girls, you know, the two, the two little ones and making sure that they're being played with and that the house, you know, we have dinner ready for tonight. Um, so that's the only way I can work. Before, when I lived in England, I wasn't able to work because I was the cleaner, the shopper, the cooker, the school run person, the, the everything, you know, from sort of 5.30 in the morning till 8.30 at night. And then come 8.30 at night, even though I wanted to do something else, I would collapse on the sofa and watch Netflix. Um, so I still do that here. So, so I normally work till around 5.36. So between maybe one and five, 5.30. Um, Then we have dinner together at six, which has all been pre-made. We just have to warm it up. So I am so grateful for anyone who's listening and hates me. I hate me too. I'm jealous of me too that I can do this now. <laughs> I fully appreciate that I have this ability. Um, and then we really make a thing about no screens at dinner time. We talk between six and seven. It's family time to talk about the day. It is never how I envisage in my mind where everyone's taking turns and politely talking and enjoying their meal. It's always, I hate this food. I don't want it. I'm not eating it. And two or three people talking at once and the baby screaming while I'm trying to quickly eat, you know, so it's never quite the, 
the beautiful family dinner that I envisage. Maybe that will happen in 10 years when they're more grown up, but we still try nonetheless <laughs> to talk to our children and connect um, and talk to them about our day. And then, then I would normally go upstairs with the two girls and shower them and tell them a little story and breastfeed the baby to sleep. And normally the three-year-old just falls asleep with me. We co-sleep, me and the girls. We're in the same bed together. Then I would sneak downstairs at eight. And then between eight and nine would be my time with the boys, the three boys who are, you know, 10, eight and six. And they really want that time. My husband by that point is really exhausted. He's not a night owl. I'm more a night person. So he normally at that point is flaking out. You know, he's done all the washing up while I put the girls to bed and he's on the sofa and he's like, come on, baby, let's the day's over. I'm like, no, I have to have that hour with my boys. So between eight and nine, we don't even normally read. Like sometimes a good, I'm a good mom and I make them read a few pages with me, but they're normally exhausted and they just want to talk about what happened in their day. Or they might have lots of different questions. Like they, they always have questions about life and what does this mean? And, you know, it's, it's sometimes quite deep stuff, which is when we have our main bonding. So that's when we just cuddle and talk. And then at nine o'clock, I usually sneak out of their room and stay with my husband for an hour, hour and a half. And that's our time. But it's difficult because my husband is kind of always jealous of the time that I'm with the kids in the evening. He feels like it should be our time now. Um, but I really feel strongly that they need that mummy connection time because I'm so often with the younger ones because they physically need me so much. And the boys are often off doing hobbies or tutoring that I just don't have time to connect with them. So I have to be quite um, strict with my husband and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Like we'll have our time between nine and 10. And if you fall asleep in that time, that's tough. We're the grownups, you know, they have needs. They're the children. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough juggling act trying to make sure everyone's happy. And often I fail, you know, I've, I get feedback. They're all very open in their communication and they will tell me if they feel that they haven't had enough of my time and that, you know, they don't feel loved and where was my cuddle today and you don't care about me as much as someone else. And, you know, I feel terrible. And then I get the same from my husband. So if I've had a successful date with the children, they're saying my husband will say, you haven't had time for me. Where's my wife? Um, why aren't we having sex more or whatever? I'm like, because I'm on my knees and I don't feel sexy right now. <laughs> I've got hairy legs and I'm exhausted. And it's just the last thing I want to do after I've been looking after everyone all day. And the other thing I keep saying to him, but that maybe other listeners here will empathize with is when you have young children and you have that tactile stimulation all day, like literally sucking on your boobs, pulling your hair, scratching you, wanting cuddles, you need physical space. You know, for me, I just cherish no one touching me for a few hours before I get back into bed with the little ones who will be touching me again, you know? So I just, yeah, it's very hard to keep the romance alive because it's kind of the last thing on my mind. Um, but thanks to him having a high sex drive, that we still do have that, but it's not down to me, you know? Um, and he feels that, you know, he feels rejected because I don't initiate. So it's very difficult to keep my life in balance, I feel. And as for me time, it doesn't always factor. Like sometimes, because my, my husband, like I said, likes to go to bed a bit earlier than I. If he goes to bed at 10, I'm like, yes, now I have an hour for myself because I only need about six hours sleep. So I'm like, okay, now I can meditate or I can listen to a podcast because my brain needs to learn. I love learning and all that kind of thing. 
Um, or maybe I can even do a bit of yoga in the evenings before I go to bed. Um, so I try to factor that in, but me time might just be watching something on Netflix. That's your me time. But did you just tell me you only sleep six hours? On average, yeah. Wow. But I think because I'm not drinking, I've made a, like, a pact with myself. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. And, you know, we have quite a healthy diet. And that's why I feel I have more energy. Before, I needed a good eight, nine hours sleep. But I don't feel I need that. Every now and then, like every three or four days, I'll say to my husband, right, it's 5.30. Here are the girls. You deal with them. I'm sleeping till 7.30 now. I need it. I'm exhausted. Um, but most of the time, yeah, it's six hours. Wow, very powerful. Really, really. I've talked to many women who have been, uh, well, had a burnout, even myself. And it's very, what you're talking about is really exactly the feeling you have after a very busy day. And then there's one more person who wants something about you and your body. Oh. You say, no, <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> Not tonight, not many nights. Yeah. <laughs> I want to meet time. I want to meet time. And uh, if you only have to sleep six hours, well, you might get a chance of having more me time. But someone like mm -hmm. uh, maybe me or other women that need eight to maybe nine hours, then there's not much left. Huh? No, and that's the thing my husband always says to me is like, why do you stay up till 11? Um, you could just fall asleep with the boys at nine. And I'm like, because I need the me time. Otherwise, it's just Groundhog Day. And then I'm up again at five. And I'm like, wow, I didn't have any time to have a thought for myself. You know, I, I feel cheated. So it's a stupid dichotomy where you're, you're, you're exhausted, but you're awake. And you're like, no, I will stay awake, even though I'm exhausted just to have my me time. <laughs> but obviously, sometimes I do give in and I go to bed. Otherwise, I would burn out. Yeah, you know? of course. Chrissy, tell me something. It's very interesting how you find the balance. When do you know, when is the moment you know you're going too far and you're not getting enough me time? When? What, what, what does your body tell you? Um, for me, I get really anxious and worried about things. I start catastrophizing. So like, I'll start imagining things like, oh, if Bradley and I are in the car tomorrow, like tomorrow we're going to a town tomorrow together without the children, we could have a car crash and die. Yeah, we haven't written the will. The kids will be split up in social care. All kinds of horrible things are going to happen. You know, and I start doing this. I'm like, you need some sleep. You're going a little bit crazy. This is a sign you need rest. Or this is a sign you need to get more grounded. So that's what I do. I start catastrophizing and imagining scenarios that aren't even true. Um, and that started when I had my first. I think it is quite common maybe not so spoken about with with mums when they become mums I think the hormones and the protection can go into overdrive like I would be worried even carrying him down the stairs because I thought I might drop him or I'd be worried having a cup of tea near him because I might scold him um, and I was very lucky that I had a friend who did EFT like emotional freedom technique And, you know, working through that with her, we were able to sort of deduce that my fears were coming from a place of wanting to protect and keep my child safe, but they were just getting a little bit out of control because I was tired or out of balance, you know. And um, with EFT, I was able to kind of say, no, 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 calm down. Thank you, fear, for protecting, but also let's, let's put you into perspective. You're not needed to that extent. So EFT has helped me. Um, I have a life coach as well. 
Um, so that's actually a lot of me time to talk through my concerns and the thoughts I have and give me more balance. Um, and I'm definitely guilty of not meditating enough. I keep wanting to, and I want to do more yoga and stuff. But today I was really happy that I was in nature with the children. I was just at the beach while they were surfing and it was lovely. And I even got to meet a few new people. For me also connection with other women is really good for me, for my spirit and my soul, especially with this whole coronavirus situation where we've been, you know, on our own a lot. So I feel like I've really filled my cup up today through simple things like that. But yeah, anxiety is when I know I'm out of balance. That you are out of balance, okay. I, I, I guess that's for some other women, might, they might have other kind of signs. Um, but you know, well, um, when you get a burnout, you are far, way too far, way too far of uh, listening to your body. And it has been months, maybe years. And um, well, at a certain point, uh, what I have talked with the psychologists and other people, it, it just it looks that it happens in one moment, but it's that you have been maybe anxious for many years and you haven't listened to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but now tell me when uh, you say you are working like three, four hours a day, well, what's your, that's what you want to do. And um, what would well, you are going to do a, um, a new business or tell us about what is your plan for the next couple of years? Well, to create this online course, which is all about blissful birthing. So like I said, mums um, who are pregnant and want to have a beautiful birth experience rather than a traumatic one uh, where they're filled with fear. So that's my, my mission for mums and for babies to have peaceful births. Um, so I want to create an online course doing that and also this podcast because I can't physically be a doula right now. I can't emotionally help women because I'm kind of tied to my kids right now. Um, so I thought an online platform would be the way to at least start spreading the message that it can be a really beautiful, empowering, euphoric experience. Um, because I don't think enough women talk about birth like that. I think we hear so many traumatic stories um, where women feel quite violated afterwards. And, you know, then, well, even if you've had a good experience, birth is not just one day. Birth is a memory that you have forever. And I just want to make sure it's a beautiful memory for women. I'm just so sad when I hear stories from my peers, how they had a horrible time. And I just keep thinking it didn't have to be that way, but you didn't have the support. You didn't have the knowledge. You didn't know that you could do it. You were always told by, um, the medical system and even by society that birth is something to be feared and it's dangerous and it needs to be controlled and it needs to be hospitalized. Um, but I just want to dispel that myth really, not in a irresponsible way. I'm not saying don't have a midwife, don't have a doctor. If you want to, absolutely fine, but just uh, make sure that they're actually nurturing and supporting you rather than taking complete control. Yeah. And, um, uh, so the podcast you're beginning is meant also to get this message for um, women that are pregnant and want to have babies. And um, who would you like to, um, yeah, to interview? Um, I want to interview other people that have experience with natural birth being a beautiful experience, you know, so people that have proof because obviously if it's just me 
with my five birth experiences, it's not that much credibility. A lot of people look at me and go, oh, you just got lucky. Or isn't that great for you? Almost like you're showing off. And I'm like, no, no, it's not luck. It was actually a lot of preparation. I was so scared of birth. It's not true. Before I had Luca, I was more scared of birth than death. Um, and the only reason it was a beautiful experience is because I did so much work on myself mentally and emotionally and I sought out the support, you know. Um, so, sorry, what was the question? I'm kind of going off tangent there. What was no, I just to know uh, who would you like to interview and you are telling yeah. me kind of um, experiences. Other, other women that have had the same kind of experience um, or even had one birth that maybe was traumatic and then they've been able to transform it because I think that's really powerful. If you can see the transformation in the same woman with the same body, um, have a completely different outcome. There's something, there's a story to be told there as to why, right? Like what does she do differently this time? Um, and also I want to speak to midwives who have seen natural birth being very safe, uh, much safer in fact than the hospital environment thousands and thousands of times because that's a lot more credible than my five times um and doulas who have seen the same and OBGYNs. um so i guess that's the majority of them but i also want to speak to like pelvic floor specialists um and chiropractors and people like that who have seen what can happen to a woman's body um if you haven't been able to give birth the natural way in a safe way you know like the, for example a pelvic floor specialist will see lots of incontinence um, be it weeing or pooing or things like that women could have avoided frankly if they hadn't been on epidurals say where they can't feel anything and they're told to push like crazy and they don't know what they're doing to themselves whereas if they're in contact with their body that could have been avoided so yeah basically a lot of people that work with the body and understand how the body works and then I also want to speak to people who are more psychologists and understand how impactful uh, life in the womb is and also how birth is like the first experience the baby will have earth side and the psychological repercussions that has for the baby emotionally psychologically health-wise spiritually um so yeah there's quite a huge gamut of different people that i want to talk to um even spiritual people like I've got one friend who is a soul doula and um, she helps pregnant women speak to the spirit of their unborn children uh, which is incredibly powerful because wow. then you consider the whole birth experience from the baby's perspective rather than just from yours you know so yeah I want to speak to a lot of different people really because I think birth is not just a physical act that you have to survive it's a very spiritual process as well so it can be a real transformation and a growth experience yeah so. yeah i agree with you i think the um part of the western society has brought us the idea that birth is like only physical it's practical and then you you get i mean you get a baby and the only important thing is the baby is alive mm. That you get out as soon as possible from the hospital and uh and that's it and uh i guess that there's so much to tell about birth and pregnancy and uh, staying close to um nature um uh, yeah. well i really had a very bad, bad experience by the way i'm uh, one of those women oh, that, uh, a little bit bad experience but um 
but afterwards I, I turned it myself into something beautiful because at least um, it was, um, it, it took just a little bit too long. That's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's yeah, it. well, it can do. If you don't feel like you're in a supportive, safe environment, it can take a really long time uh, to have your baby. I mean, one of mine took 44 hours um, and it was only afterwards I could reflect as to why. Uh, I was carrying so many issues that I didn't know I was carrying. Like, I was very, I felt very guilty, for example, to my firstborn that I might ruin our whole dynamic with him. Um, you know, I might ruin his life because he was our everything. You must know how that feels having one child. She's your everything, right? So can you imagine how it feels that someone else may come? It's like an intruder, but then you feel guilty to the baby you're carrying because you're like, I don't want to feel like you're an intruder. Like then you have the, the guilt there. And um, the other things with things like, you know, we're financially in a worrying situation. So I was worried about how we finance it. We'd fallen out with my husband's family. So I felt like half the family won't even love you. Um, so I was carrying all that while trying to give birth. <laughs> and it was only when my husband said to me, hey, it really seems like you don't want this baby to come out. Like, what's going on? And at first I bit his head off and I was like, you idiot, do you really think I want to be here for 40 hours? I'm exhausted. I haven't been able to sleep. You think I want this? Like, what are you talking about? But then after about five minutes of reflection, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe there's some truth in what you're saying. I kind of feel guilty and sad and really confused. And I had a big cry and he said, go and have a cry in the bath. Tell the baby you want to meet it, you know, that you're sorry that you haven't much time, had much time to focus on this pregnancy and bond with him and all the different things. And honestly, he was born a few hours later. It was like I needed to do this big emotional release. Wow. And that's when I really realized how the mind and the body and the emotions were so interconnected. Wow. So. Beautiful. Really beautiful story. Wow. <laughs> But I'd love to hear about your story one day. Yeah. If, if that's something you feel you can that. approach. That's uh, yeah. even longer to me, I will tell you. When you're healed. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah. And let me uh, ask you one more question, Chris. Because, if, I mean, if I listen to this story, which, which is really very incredible, I mean, uh, in the way that things happen and uh, how you get all, you know, all dishes in the air and you can still handle, you don't have a burnout. Uh, you still have a little bit of me time. Is there mm -hmm. something you would like to have more at this moment? Something you are missing? Something you say like, um, if, if, if it could be a little bit better for me, I would like to have this. What, what would that be? Definitely just the more me time, because I really feel that I don't have that. But I've kind of made my peace with it because I know this is just what happens when you have young children. And... Uh, I think the way I handle it is by saying you have to drop your standards for now. Like nothing is forever. So if the house is a bit messier and uh, if the food isn't always perfect and if I'm a bit tired, I just kind of accept it. But if I could have an ideal scenario, yes, I would like more me time. Definitely. I would love to be able to do yoga every day and meditate and speak to my friends more and go out more. And I would lap all that stuff up. Definitely. And actually, we had a very ideal situation when we first moved to Costa Rica. We lived in an um, uh, eco community for the first year. And that's all we did. We indulged ourselves so much because uh, the kids went to this unschooling school and the bus picked them up and dropped them off. We didn't even have to drive them. Can you imagine? 
And then our toddler at the time had this wonderful gay nanny who would pick her up from our house and just take her to the, the community pool in the area. So I knew where to find her, but she was away. And our community put on free everything. So we'd have like free drumming circles by the river, free ecstatic dance, um, man circles or women circles, massage, you know, all of this stuff on tap. And our kids were gone for eight hours. And we had this housekeeper that could come and cook and clean. So we indulged ourselves like you wouldn't believe. My husband didn't even work really for that year. And I think that really filled our cup up. I think it saved our life. It really did. So if I could go back to that again, I'd love that. <laughs> it was so nice. <laughs> it was really self-indulgent. Um, yeah, that was fantastic. And what else? I guess having more of a brain would be nice. I just feel like I'm in this constant brain fog. So if I was more focused, I feel like I could achieve more in my vocation because it really does give me pleasure and joy when I can achieve something with my blissful birthing message. And I get very angry and impatient with myself that it's taking so long. Um, so that's quite a frustration of mine. It would be lovely to just almost say, I'm going away for a month to a yoga retreat where I can just indulge myself and then I can work and I won't get interrupted by children. I won't have the maternal guilt all the time of have I spent enough hours with them? But I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. My husband has it quite ideal. He has like permission every year to go away for a month if that's what he needs to do. And he takes it. So he goes to Japan for two weeks every year for ninjutsu, which is a martial art. And he goes with his friends. And then he goes snowboarding for two weeks of the year as well, um, either with friends or he might take our elder sons. Because he needs it, I can see he doesn't have as much of that tolerance for the children or, you know, he just needs more his time. He's not as much of an extrovert as I am. He's much more introverted and he needs to fill up his cup. So I'm letting him do that because I think it keeps us all happier if he's happier. Um, and I'm also logging it. You know, I say to him, when they're teenagers, I'm going, man. I'm going to India for half a year. I'll do whatever I have to do. <laughs> I'm getting my meantime one day. Yeah, sure. You, you really have to do, but well, it's a good advice. I mean, make the deal with your husband. You know, he goes a month, you go a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm breastfeeding, I know I'm not in the same situation as him, and it's my choice to breastfeed, right? I don't want to not do that. Um, I want to do it till she's at least two years old, but then my freedom will come again. And I think it's always reminding myself of that, that this isn't forever. I know it's been a long time. It's been 11 years of raising young children, but it's also what I wanted. And then, you know, when I look at them, when they're all asleep and I'm exhausted, I just think I would do it all again. So I think a lot of avoiding burnout is actually having gratitude um, and I think I read that in an article a few years ago and I thought, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Like, you know, you could look at everything like the house is a mess, the dishes are dirty, there are toys everywhere. I'm still tidying this up till 10 o'clock at night. Or you could go, you know what? I'm so grateful I have toys to tidy up because one day I'll be an old woman and I won't have that. I'm so glad I have messy plates because I've been able to share dinner with someone. And who really cares? You know, they'll be tidied up again tomorrow and they'll be messy again, again. Like, let it go. It doesn't matter if that's not perfect. Um, and it's the same with my tiredness. I'm like, one day I'll have all the hours to sleep that I want, but I won't want them. I'll be longing for a little baby in my bed. So, you know, I try to take the gratitude out of the craziness and just go, but this is amazing and beautiful at the same time. And I think that helps. Yes. Yeah. 
very very nice advice i think you're completely right my 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 little one is already six and i really miss that little baby in my bed <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah you really will miss exactly. that because, yeah and I'm sure at the time when she was a baby, you had days where you're like, oh, I just want this to be over. I want her to be able to do more for herself. You know, this is exhausting. Yeah. But it, it passes. Everything does. Yeah, well, very, very, very nice to hear from you, uh, Casey. Well, I really appreciate your time because every hour, maybe you don't have tonight uh, me time because you were with us. <laughs> but Oh, um, no, it was lovely to talk to you. Everything you told us was really so very interesting. And uh, I think uh, for so many women, just to uh, listen to all the women that have their, um, their own solutions, keeping them away from the burnout. And uh, well, of course, I will also have uh, talked with women who have been deep in the burnout like I was. Um, mm -hmm. I really appreciate you told us uh how to keep yourself away from the burnout and i really want to tell you look beautiful i mean uh, well, <laughs> how old are you at this moment i'm 40 42 but i look really ugly today i have to say i've got greasy hair and everything but who cares <laughs> really thank you very much but i really think i only avoided burnout because um i had so many kids and i realized delegation you don't have to be ashamed of delegating because before, when I only had two or three kids, I was like, no, I can do everything. I can do it all. And it was like this pride thing and this comparing yourself to other mums, almost like a competitive thing, you know. Um, but when I lost that and I just thought, no, I don't have to feel ashamed if I say I have a housekeeper. I don't have to apologize because she keeps our marriage together. She keeps me sane because then I'm not saying to my husband, oh, my God, you get to have a shower on your own or a poo on your own or you know, you haven't picked your socks up and put them in the washing basket and want to divorce him over it because it's those small things then that you want to kill them and you feel like you're losing your mind and going for a burnout. Now I think, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I've got help as well and I'll delegate that. And also if I don't have help, never mind if it's not perfect. It's reframing perfection, right? You have to be imperfectly perfect. My perfect now is, is everyone alive? Good. That's about it. That's my standard. Is everyone alive and happy? <laughs> so, yeah. I just want to say, I don't want to give this image of I've got five kids, I can do it all. Not at all. Like, I would have been very close to burnout. I think just don't be ashamed to delegate and don't be ashamed to ask for help. Don't try and be superwoman because no one's going to give you a prize, you know? don't go that way just ask for help or or on the days where like i am really tired i say to my husband i don't care you take them now it's your turn whereas i wouldn't have done that when i only had two or three kids because i always prioritized him above myself i thought no he's the breadwinner we need to make sure he's okay whereas now i'm a bit more like no i need to make sure i'm okay as well i'm the glue that holds this shit together so your turn but he wouldn't volunteer himself you see so you just again delegate would be my secret to not burning out yeah well very 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 powerful and a brilliant story really i am um, you have to you have to write a book i i think that would be a, a good idea in uh, for, really? for me time in uh, some time when you have more me time so and i want yeah, to in 10 years so yeah. much for your uh, for your time and uh well i think we will meet again we'll talk more about your project very interested. 
thank you so much for your time as well. It's lovely speaking to you all. And I wish you much luck there in Costa Rica. I hope everything is uh, uh, going well and that you also begin with your own business within now and maybe two, three years. Um, thank you. Maybe I will be ever in Costa Rica, of course. I, I will. Yeah, always welcome. <laughs> yeah, definitely let me know if you are. Thank you so much, Gabriella. You too.